As I mentioned, we were at my mom and dad's for Thanksgiving. We were driving back yesterday. It's about a six-hour drive, which is, uh, is not easy. And uh, my kids like silence in the car, so I drive in silence, which is great, except that the, then the wheels spin and spin. And I had this last-minute idea for, uh, for just kind of a way to introduce our next sermon series. And I put it in place, and then uh, the power went out, and it's all slide-based. So I told first service that it was God's way of telling me that I shouldn't do that, that it was my idea, not God's. But now there's power back, and I'm just all confused. So we're going to do it because, well, it's there. Here we go. We're going to start with a little game today. Uh, no grades. It's just for, uh, just for fun. And, uh, and here's the game. It's name the place, name the story. In a moment, we're going to show an image on the screen. And if you know it, holler out what place it is. And then after you've hollered out the place, I'll ask, what's the story? And you can tell me a story that is set in that place. So we'll start with what I think is probably a relatively easy place to name. Uh, here we go. Eiffel Tower, which is where? Paris, Paris good. And, uh, and name a story that takes place there. Ratatouille, right? Yeah. It's funny. I, um, Madame Bovary, the hunchback of Notre Dame, Les Miserables, those are all, but Ratatouille, you know, that's where, that's where my mind went to. Thank you. All right. How about this next one? England. Yeah, London, England, right? London, England. What, uh, what story do you know set within the backdrop of London, England? Peter Pan, good, yeah. Uh, I, I heard several, um, Oliver Twist, Sherlock Holmes, all set in, uh, all set in London. Uh, how about the next one? Oz, right? The Yellow Brick Road in Oz, and what story is there? The Wizard of Oz. All right, this next one? Hogwarts, uh, all of you who are fans, where, what story is told at Hogwarts? Harry Potter, very good. Uh, just a few more. Here's, a, here's another one. Back to real locations. New York and the Empire State Building. Uh, what story would be set here? Yeah, okay. So we, all, all kinds of them. Spider-Man, Ghostbusters, King Kong. Um, insert your favorite gangster movie here, right? All, uh, all in New York. Okay, another make-believe place. How about this one? Tatooine. All right, we've got some Star Wars fans in the house. That is, uh, that is good. And the, uh, and the story in Tatooine is Star Wars, right? Um, all right, this one might be a little harder. How about this next one? Anybody know this one? Yeah, you'd get real extra bonus ports if you knew this one. This is Almagtas, or what's called Bethany by the Jordan. And uh, we might call this the wilderness, and does anybody know what story goes with this place? The baptism of Jesus and John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. This is the traditional spot, actually, where it's believed John the Baptist was, was preaching and baptized Jesus here. So, right, Paris, London, New York City, Hogwarts, Middle Earth, Narnia, Oz, the Jordan River, what do all these places have in common? They all shape stories. They all shape stories. They're all the settings for stories. And if you think about those stories, you might begin to realize that, that the place plays a role in the, in the story. Right? Here's another way to think of this. I want you to imagine for a moment that I'm going to ask you in just a second, 
um, to tell somebody sitting next to you about the place where you grew up, or if you moved a lot, the places where you grew up. Just for a moment, picture in your mind the places where you grew up. What would you tell someone else about those places where you grew up? Now, you're not, I'm not going to ask you to do this, so you don't have to worry about actually talking to somebody next to you this morning. I just want you to, to think as though, what, what would you tell them about the places where you grew up? And I, I, I saw some some smiles out there. It's hard to see when the lights are up here and it's dark, but I saw some smiles, right? Lots of us, there, there are just ways that, things that we remember. There are ways that those places shaped and formed us. So this month, we thought it would be a great spiritual exercise to think about the places of the Advent and Christmas story. What, what, would, it, what would it look like to learn more about these places and, and then think about how does that shape the stories? And even more important, how might that shape our understanding and shape our faith? So we're going to start today in the wilderness. Um, grab your bear spray and here we go. I'm just kidding. There are not bears in the, uh, in the Judean wilderness. Let's pray. Holy God, as we adventure this month to these, to these places of the Advent and Christmas story, we just pray that your spirit would guide us, that you would open our minds to, to learn and to, to grow, that you would open us to, the, to see these stories in, in even more fruitful ways, that you would deepen our faith, our trust in you, our God and our knowledge and acceptance of this love of Jesus that you offer us, that we would be empowered in the season ahead to share it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Luke chapter 3 starts like this. It says, In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ituria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. In the wilderness it says, is where John brought this message. And I want to just back up a moment um, and just a quick teaching moment, if I may. Um, when you see lots of big names in the Bible like this, I probably have shared this with you before, but do you know how to, how to read big names in the Bible? Here's what you do. It doesn't matter how you pronounce them. Don't worry about it. Just read them with confidence because nobody knows how to pronounce them. And when you pronounce it with confidence, they think that's how you pronounce it. And they will be fine until the next time somebody reads that, and then they'll hear another pronunciation, and they'll think that that's right. But it'll be so long before they read, hear that passage read out loud again that they won't remember that you taught them a different way. So, just a, a, a quick little note. Don't get stuck on the names in the Bible. Luke goes on. He says, As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord and make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked roads shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. A calling in the wilderness, in the wilderness. This is where the voice comes to declare the coming of the Messiah in the wilderness. 
The other names in that list that Luke gives us, Tiberius and Pontius Pilate and Herod and, and Philip and Lysanias and Annas and Caiaphas, they all, they all don't live in the wilderness. They live in the, in the places of population, in the seats of power and, and influence. But the announcement of the one who is coming to save the world, it doesn't come to those places of, of power and influence first. It starts News of the coming Messiah starts in the wilderness. Somewhere removed from those seats of power and influence. That's where the message comes. Somewhere where life isn't easy. That's where the message of Jesus begins. Somewhere occupied by those at the margins, those who've been outcast, those who are struggling, those who don't seem to fit in, those who have been shunned. This is where the good news of Jesus begins. So today we're going to examine what is that wilderness? What, what picture do you think of when you think of the wilderness? Uh, lots of times I think when we think wilderness, we think desert, which is, uh, which is not... Uh, which is not untrue. The desert is certainly one example of, of the wilderness. And you see, when, when Luke talks about John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness, the people would know about biblical stories in the wilderness. This isn't the first story to take place in the wilderness. The Israelites, in escaping Egypt, they spend 40 years, an entire generation, in the wilderness. This is actually the edge of the wilderness looking out over toward the promised land, an area that isn't exactly desert, but it's rocky and rough and, and tumble. The wilderness includes harsh terrain. But the wilderness, we should recognize, it isn't just hot all the time either. The next picture that you're going to see, this photo shows what can happen in February. This photo was taken in Jordan, in the heights, in the, in the, month, of, in the month of February. And you can see, right, that, that it can ice over. This area is harsh. When it is hot, it is hot and dry. When it is cold, it is cold and brutal. Winds in the highlands. The wilderness is not an easy place to live. Not an easy place to find food. What people would know about the wilderness is that you can't, you can't survive it by yourself. You need a community of people to live in the wilderness. And in the biblical story, the people had to realize they couldn't survive the wilderness on their own. They needed to trust God. We also find in the Bible the story of Elijah in the wilderness. In 1 Kings, it tells us that Elijah spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness running from Queen Jezebel. Any of you know the, the story of Elijah? It's okay if you don't. Elijah spoke the word of God to the, to the queen and, and the king, and they didn't want to hear it, and so Queen Jezebel wanted Elijah dead. So she was set on finding him and killing him, and Elijah was fleeing and ready to give up. And the story says that Elijah spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, and then he eventually took shelter in a cave, and when he came out of the cave, God spoke to him there in the majestic wilderness. Elijah emerges from the cave, and God speaks a message of possibility 
and purpose, a message of hope. You see, to hear that message, Elijah had to get out of the day-to-day, had to get away from the stress, had to sink into the silence that the wilderness offered. The Gospels in the Bible also tell us that Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness. In this story, Jesus was preparing for ministry. And he goes out into the wilderness and he prays and he fasts. And then the story says that Satan came and tempted Jesus. Tradition says that this next picture, or the picture that you see up there now, is, is the Mount of Temptation, that this, this rock cropping is where Jesus faced that temptation. Today, a monastery marks that spot. You see, in these biblical stories that the wilderness is the, that place in life where unable to let go of the past, one faces an uncertain future. with conditions in the here and now that are difficult and seem insurmountable. The wilderness is is trying to survive in a world that seems to want to destroy you or destroy what you care about. The wilderness is where we're just ready to give up. The wilderness is facing temptation when life gets really hard. I think when we think of the wilderness as those things, most of, us, most of us can relate, can't we? Can you think of a time, a wilderness time in your life? A time when you wanted to give up? A time when things just seemed too hard? A time when you felt like the world was tilted against you? A time when you felt lost and you just weren't sure what direction to go or what to do? Maybe some of you are in those kinds of places right now in your life. You see, for those of you who have your trees up and and you're all excited for for the Christmas season, thanks be to God. But for those of you who don't have the lights on the tree yet, maybe maybe things are just too hectic right now, or, or maybe there's other things going on, or maybe you don't even know that you want a tree up this year because of, of how you're feeling right now. Know that the Bible has some stories of others who have been in a wilderness place like you. For those of you who are enjoying your job and and family life is great and relationships are great, we give thanks to God. For those of you who, who maybe are out of work right now or you're struggling and you're just not fulfilled in your job or relationships are broken and family life is not good right now, hear today that the Bible has stories of others who've been in the wilderness just like you. For those who just may feel directionless right now or unfulfilled or just having trouble maybe letting go of the past and, and facing what the, what the future now holds, take heart today because we're going to find in the Bible stories of people in the wilderness just like us. And the wilderness offers us us some, 
some lessons about how to, how to live faith in these places of dryness and hurt and grief and struggle and feeling lost. In Deuteronomy 8, the people are invited to remember the first days of their time in the wilderness. This is the 40 years in the wilderness have passed for the people of Israel. And, and God is, is saying through the prophet, he's, he's saying to the people, remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. It's an invitation to the people to, to remember when they first came into the wilderness. When they first entered the wilderness, do you know what the first thing the people did was when they got into the wilderness? Does anybody know this? They complained. They grumbled. Right? In, in that kind of humanity, right? When, when something bad happens, what's the first thing that we want to do? We want to complain. We want to grumble. We want to, want to kind of the, the woe is me kind of, of moment. That's what happened for the people as they entered the wilderness. Many wanted to go back to the way things were before, but that wasn't even an, an option. And they wanted to because, right, and we know this, the in-between times, they're tough. When we're between what was and, and what we hope might be, or even can't even see what might be those in-between times, they're difficult. But here's what the people have learned over those 40 years. They've learned that God will provide. God will provide. God provided manna to eat just enough each day so that the people would, would continue to count on and trust God. It was a lesson for them to put their trust in God. Sometimes we need the in-between times, the wilderness times. As hard as they are, sometimes we need them because it helps us to, to reorient our priorities and, and to learn to trust God again, to realize we can't go it alone. The wilderness reminds us that God will provide. Elijah learns this lesson about God providing, but then his story goes on. After being fed, an angel comes to Elijah. When, when he's at the very depth of despair, an angel comes and, and feeds him, and then then it says Elijah spent 40 days and 40 nights being led through the wilderness. He arrives at a mountain. He spends the night in the cave. And then the next day, he comes out of the, the cave, and the Lord comes to him. And this is what it says in 1 Kings 19, 11. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Story tells us that that God showed up to Elijah. Not in the storm or the, or the fire that go by, but in a, in a gentle whisper, God speaks to Elijah. Now, there are a number of theories, because in other places, God does appear in the storms and in the fires and in the lightning. Like, like God can appear in lots of ways. So, so that there's lots of thought about why why here does God only choose to appear in a whisper? And one of, one of my favorite interpretations is that, that Elijah needed, needed the silence, needed, needed the sense of God's voice just whispering to him, not denying that God was in those other things, but for Elijah in this moment, he needed to just step back 
from everything else in the world and listen for God's voice in his life. He needed to sit and be silent and patient until he could hear that whisper. You've heard patience as a virtue. How many of you struggle with patience as a virtue? You don't have to raise your hand, just kidding. Right? It's hard. It's hard in a world where we want to be in control. It's hard to wait for what God might be doing. It's part of what makes those in-between times. We're taught to control everything, but what happens when we can't control everything? It's hard to wait. And yet in Elijah, we hear this message that if we will just wait, if we will be patient, if we will let go of control and pay attention, God will show up. That's the promise. God is with you. God is with us. This is another gift of the wilderness. And then if we jump to Jesus' story, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting in the wilderness, anybody here willing to do a, a 40 day, a 40 night fast for Advent? Anyone want to just give up all food for the whole season? Can you imagine? So 40 days and 40 nights. It says that after 40 days and 40 nights, um, Satan comes to Jesus and tempts him. Now think about this for a moment. 40 days with no food, no, uh, no, no, no bread, no meat, no food whatsoever. And then Satan comes and there's a rock sitting next to you. And Satan says, you, has the pow- you have the power. Just turn that rock into bread and eat it. What would you do? Right? I have to think I'd be awfully tempted to turn that rock into bread and, and just have a bite to eat if I had that kind of power. And yet, even at that, Jesus doesn't give into that temptation. And this is how he avoids it. He uses the same three words to each of the temptations that Satan brings. These words repeat again and again. He says the same three words. It is written. Jesus answers, it is written that man shall not live by bread alone. It's written that I can trust God in this. It is written, the Bible says, Jesus saying in response, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. In the wilderness, we come to realize that we need the Bible and the stories within it as our guide to survive in the wilderness. Anybody here like to go on hikes, visit national parks? A number of people like, like hiking, like national parks. When you, when you go to a, a national park or, or somewhere to hike, it's nice to have a guidebook, right? I mean, there's something to be said for, for wandering through the wilderness. But if you, if you have a guidebook, there are a couple things that happen. One, if you get lost, it'll kind of show you where to look for paths and, and what to look for. But even more, it shows you the sights to see along the way. You know, here's, here's the waterfall that you, you don't want to miss. And, and here's the site that you wanna, don't want to miss. The Bible is our guidebook for the wilderness. Without it, we're awfully tempted to sell our souls to the powers of this world to try and guide us to the things that the world thinks is important. Without the guidebook, in the more difficult times, it's really easy to be selfish and not continue to to live a life open to others. 
Without the guidebook, it's really easy to miss what God has in store for us in the wilderness, not to see, to turn away from God. You see, I think, I think when we don't use the guidebook and we find ourselves in the wilderness experiences of life, we often label those, those wilderness experiences as bad. I mean, think about it for a moment. When um, We don't often think of job loss as an opportunity. What's the first thing we think of when we have a job loss? Oh, right, we turn it in on ourselves. We, we think about how difficult this is and, and how awful it is. And that's not to deny the, the pain of, of job loss, but our first inclination is to see it as failure, not as opportunity. We label the wilderness we label the wilderness as bad or as, as failure. You might think of it another way. We, we tend in our world to label winners and losers. You ever think about this? Sometimes we do it without even thinking. We, we label winners and losers. And if, if we pause, we'll realize that losers are often those who are in the wilderness experiences of life. Right? The, the losers that we see in our world or the way that we, we define that is, is often those who are, are struggling in relationships or, or struggle with addiction or, or struggle with, uh, um, with depression or, or they're jobless or unable to succeed or, or don't seem to have any, any direction. Wandering. While what we consider as winners are those who, who are comfortable and, and have financial means and and success in the way that, that the world defines it. We're taught to avoid wilderness experiences, to keep control in life. Control and comfort is good. Lack of control, difficult times are, are bad. But notice, the ministry of Jesus is announced, is announced in the wilderness the ministry of Jesus is announced in the midst of those at the margins, to those who aren't in the seats of power and influence and affluence. The ministry of Jesus is announced where there is loss and struggle, where the, where the future seems really uncertain. This is where the announcement comes. As we think about the wilderness stories of, of the Bible, we're invited, I think, to see these wilderness experiences as different than than what the world says. So when, when we're struggling at school, when we're struggling in our job, when we're struggling in relationships, we're invited to name those as wilderness experiences in a way that says that there's no judgment good and bad here. There's simply another way of seeing this as an opportunity to see God at work in the midst of this moment in my life. We're invited to realize that, that those wilderness experiences, and some of you have had this experience, those wilderness experiences are the time that if we'll just pay attention, we'll realize God is at work. God shows up in these moments. Wilderness experiences create the space we need to see and hear our need for God. In my first ministry appointment, I was a few, few years into ministry and met with a, with a guy who's about my age now. He's in his, in, I think, 50s, early 50s at the time. And um, he was quite successful. He was, uh, had worked in the restaurant 
kind of corporate restaurant world for, for uh, his whole career. Um, had done well, had a great job, and, uh, and then one day he didn't. They just, he walked in and they said, you're done. Grab your things and go. It was completely unexpected. He had no idea it was coming. His best guess later was that it was downsizing in the, in the organization. It was a, kind of a tough economic time, and, and they probably could have somebody do the job he was with less experience for less money. He really didn't know, but he was just absolutely devastated. He came to me just to, to pray and to, and to share what was, what was going on in life, and um, particularly because he had kids in our youth ministry program. He wanted, wanted me to know that it, it might, you know, that it, it may show up in their lives as well. They'd done really well. He had a little bit of savings set aside, but, but at the same time, he said they'd lived large with the life that he had, and so they had a ton of debt. They had about a month, he said, before, um, before they ended up in, in deep financial trouble. He said it was great to spend more time with the family, but he, he just he was just kind of ready to give up. He'd sent out a host of, of resumes, and for every one that he, he heard a no on, he had nine or ten that didn't even respond to him. He'd had three interviews. None of them seemed to go particularly well. All of them were looking for somebody that they could hire for less money and not as much experience. It was just, he said he, he was just ready to, was ready to give up. I didn't know what to do. I, we prayed together. I can't tell you exactly what I said. I, I kind of remember praying toward the end of our, our time together, just that he might know God's presence no matter what. Three or four months passed. I didn't hear much from him. I knew he'd done some odd job stuff, and um, I know he'd, he'd volunteered a couple times at the, at the church when he had, had space. I'd, I knew from the kids that they'd had to sell their house and, and downsize and move to a smaller home. And then one day, I heard from him, and he asked if we could have lunch, and I was really hoping as we sat down, it had been five or six months at this point, that he'd have good news, and we sat down at lunch, and you know when somebody is, is just on top of the world, you, just, you know it before you even start the conversation. That's the look that he had in his eyes, and we sat down, and he said, I've got a job, and I said, oh, that's great, tell me about it. And he said, well, I'm working for a nonprofit downtown and, uh, and serving uh, uh, a meal every day, six days a week to the homeless. It's like, it's, it's just an incredible position. I said, that's great. He went on and he said, you know, I, I, I could not have dreamed of this job. Like, I didn't even know it, it existed, really. And I didn't know that it was something I wanted to do. But when I didn't have anything else, uh, it, just, it just felt right. He's like, and now it's the greatest job in the world. I want to do this forever. I can't imagine doing anything else in my life. He said it was less than half of what he was making in corporate world, but he's like, you know what? Being, being laid off for a while, we changed our spending habits and prioritized what was most important and realized we lived on this when we first had kids. We could live on, a, on, this, on this salary again. And then he said, he said, you know, I just, I wanted to share with you because I, I think, I think God got me fired so this would happen. And the, the theology student in me wanted to argue with him a little bit. I was like, well, I don't know that like God gets somebody fired. Like I, I, I think God was at work through, like I was trying to sort of have a theological conversation, but, but then he said this, and, and I, I left that alone because I had to write this part down. He said, he said, in the midst of the upheaval of my life, I thought that everything was falling apart. But now 
I realized that God was putting the pieces into place. And then he said this. He said, when things were difficult, I kept praying for a job. I kept praying for what I wanted. But when I stopped and I prayed for God's will to be done, this door opened to the dream career I never even knew existed. I love that. I look back and realize that it wasn't that my life was falling apart. It was that God was helping me rearrange the pieces. Wilderness experiences, as difficult as they may be, they let God move the pieces in our lives. If we'll we'll trust God, it'll allow us to, to put God back in control of our life, to put our trust in God again. I think we sometimes think of the Advent season as this time when we get everything together for Christmas. I don't know about you. I, I know in our house, like, we want, want it all decorated just right, and we want, you know, all the, all the gifts just right for, for every, every person. Like, it's all about getting everything together perfect. But as I think about it, all of that is, is getting things together by the world's standards. Maybe... Maybe this is the year to realize that Advent is about something else. It begins in the wilderness. It begins in the wilderness of our lives, and Advent is about claiming that Jesus is coming. Not because we have it all together, maybe even in spite of the fact that we don't have it all together. Jesus is coming. So Advent is is simply about paying attention to what God is doing. So, if you are wandering in the wilderness right now because you don't have everything in place and you're not sure when you're ever going to have everything in place again, there is good news. Jesus is coming and the announcement is made in this wilderness of your life. If the lights on your trees aren't working if you aren't feeling the Christmas spirit this year, if life seems way too tough right now, relationships just seem too broken right now, there is good news. Jesus is coming, and the announcement is being made right here in the midst of this wilderness in your life. If you are struggling right now, if finances are tight, if your grades are not good, if if temptation is lurking for you around every corner, there is good news today. God is with you in the wilderness times. This Advent, may you hear an invitation. Wherever you are in life right now, may you hear an invitation to embrace those wilderness times is an opportunity to examine your priorities, to pay attention to what God is doing, and to let the Bible be your guide. For those of us, for those of you in wilderness times, hang on and watch because God is with you and God will show up. Jesus is coming.
For those of you in the good times, it's our call to bring Jesus to the world. Amen.